Heidi, welcome to the podcast. <laughs> Again? <laughs> yeah. I, we were talking before we went on uh, how we know each other, which kind of know each other from Seattle. Yeah. So we just clarified that we, at least where we have like mutual connections was energy fitness off of Lake Union. Yep. And I started going there because I got referred to Matt from a girlfriend who was a client of his. And I had just started lifting weights like a couple months earlier. And prior to that, I'd been into fitness just for the sake of fitness for like a little over a year. What kind of fitness before lifting so weights? So before that, the first year, I uh, I started out doing the Brazil butt lift with uh, Alejandro Carvalho. Okay. Yeah, I got like the video set, man. And, yeah. and I was like, I'm just going to start with this. I just need to get into some kind of routine. So I just like followed the shit and I did that for a while. And I did see some changes. It was cool. I was like, okay, like my legs are starting to firm up. You know, my cardio is getting a lot better. It was kind of fun because they do like dancing and stuff. But then I kind of plateaued. I was like, I feel like I want to challenge myself a little more. So then a friend burned me a bunch of Shanti's Insanity. Oh, yeah. And the first time I put one of those DVDs in, I made it like seven minutes in and I was like, fuck this shit. And I took it out and then I didn't touch him for a while. And then I finally was like, you know what? Just do the best you can. Just put it in, do the best you can. And I started doing that. And then after I was doing those like pretty consistently for a few months, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to actually follow the two month program. So I did. I did Insanity every day for six days for two months straight. My endurance was fucking amazing. Um, but yeah, once again, I started to feel like I was plateauing and I wanted to build more strength. <clears throat> Is and Insanity, are those 20-minute, 30-minute workouts and just like- The original super, ones were like yeah. 35 to 55. The original okay. ones are crazy. Then he did like the Insanity Max 30, which I also have, and those uh -huh. are limited to 30 minutes. But they were different different lengths, depending. Okay. And then, you know, some of them get harder, like month two. Was it just, I don't remember. It's it. pretty much like high intensity body weight shit. But like, it's, it's, it's fucking yeah, crazy. It's intense. I've, I've done it do one time <laughs> in Hawaii. My friends had it. And then we like put it on, on this like tiny little TV in this little bungalow. And we like did it out in the, like in the rain in the middle of Hawaii. Yeah. It was intense. And like, yeah, it just, I remember my butt being so sore from doing these like hot feet for so long. Yeah, even the warm up, you're like, well, that was yeah. the warm up. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so insanity, and then you move to. So my partner at the time, um, he was a collegiate athlete. You know, played football his whole life. Started working out at age eight, so going to the gym was like eating for him. Uh, so I was like, I tried to get into going to the gym with him a couple times, but I wasn't lifting. I would go get on the treadmill for an hour. So I was like, Will you teach me how to lift weights? So he was like, Yeah, fuck it. So I started going to the gym and lifting weights with him, and I was like oh my God, this is so dope. And I loved it. I was like, this is How like, long ago is that? That was 2014. Okay, cool. Uh, 20, no, 2015. Beginning of 2015. What was it about lifting weights that sparked that in you? Oh, it just like, it just stirred this fucking berserker energy in me, dude. <laughs> and it's such a good outlet. I mean, yeah. I'm small, but I think most people that interact with me, especially in space, say that like I have big energy, you know, so I feel like I have a lot packed into this. <laughs> so I need a good outlet, you know, and it just it feels fucking amazing. Um, and and I think what I've really gotten out of lifting and what I've really learned from learning how to like lift like a fucking dude and going in and doing like muscle splits and push pull days and all that kind of stuff, you know, for years and years is like 
un- really understanding the value of progressive overload. And that's a big thing that I've come to understand. I can apply to any part of my life, like the principles and the the like concept of that. Like you you push, you stretch a little for a certain amount of time, but then you got to know when to back off and rest, yeah. right? Because if you push too far, you're going to injure yourself and then you're going to hinder your progress, right? So like that whole approach just blew the whole thing wide open for me. And it it started to trickle into other parts of the li- my life outside of physical. It's like the mental piece of that has to be on point. You know, like even your emotional and psychological, all that shit. Like if you really want to get everything that you can out of this, like all of that shit has to be on point. Mm-hmm. Your nutrition, like all your self-care, blah, blah. So then it just, like I said, it blew it all wide open for me. And, and really disciplining myself with weightlifting specifically is the first time that I've applied that level of discipline to my life just for me, not because I was beholden to somebody else or something else, you know, like it's my job and I have clients that I have to show up for whatever it is. It's like, this is just all about me and me. Um, you had internal motivation as opposed to like an external force. Yeah. Finally. Yeah. Interesting. And exactly. you've been able to translate that into other parts of your life. Yeah. Or at least working on it. <laughs> yeah. Work in <laughs> yeah. progress. I'm more. Yes, Definitely. Yeah, there's some places where uh, that's been a lot. Uh, I've been having more of a challenge applying it mm-hmm. than like others. Where? Um, well, I mean, I guess you could say in this current transition that I'm in. Um, so I don't know if you want to back up a little bit because that would take us to like kind of stepping away from tattooing and into there's what, no there's no real whatever the fuck. I'm yeah, doing there's, right there's now. no real. Well, uh, well first, media. so we met each other kind of like at North. Northwest yeah, Fitness yeah. Project, right? Yes. You've been lifting for how long at that point? Oh, I just started. And I and oh, okay. I had just been lifting a couple months, but my my partner told me he was like, Look, you're pretty good at this. And like I, I know I've showed you some stuff, but I haven't worked with a trainer in, you know, it'd been it'd been like ten years yeah. maybe at that point. Maybe not that long, but it'd been a while. He's like, so I'm not cutting edge with this stuff. Like, if you really want to learn this, maybe hire a personal trainer. So that's how I found Matt because I asked a girlfriend. She was like, he's the best. Go work with him. So I did a series of one-on-ones with him. And then he invited me to join the coaches workout that he did there with, like, Kyle and Ryan and, like, uh, Aaron and stuff like that. Okay. And and that's how – I got into that. He was like, I think you would enjoy these. I think you're a good fit. And then when they opened the new spot, I just went over there and was taking those classes there. And like every Wednesday, 11 o'clock, if I was in town, I was there. Like nothing was going to stop me. Um, And then I met Zach. And then I was like, this guy knows his shit with technical lifting. So I hired him and we worked together one to two days a week for about six months. Um, and that was amazing. And I still love being able to have somebody sit there and watch and critique like every one of my reps, which is why I love working with Craig, mm-hmm. because it's like reconnecting with that, like the all of the technical lifting. I really enjoy it. Um, but I also really want to expand into working more functional stuff into it, like the workshop we did this morning yep. with all of the coiling and the landmine stuff and the forward forward motion and everything yeah it's interesting doing that workshop showed a lot of like weaknesses in my like shoulder stability and just that forward the whole philosophy of having your weight forward it's completely different than regular just you know you're lifting with a barbell overhead or benching or whatnot exactly yeah and then fast forward we i think we ran into each other at kuya 
I think that's where we ran into Probably, each other that would make here sense. in Austin, right? Yeah. Because we were both in Seattle and then, yeah. I think when I, did you, when did you, you moved before I did. You got out yeah, like immediately. pretty quick as soon as COVID <laughs> yeah. shit went down. You were like, yeah. bye. <laughs> yeah, we were living together. And then I was like, dude, I can't stay. So it was like September of that, pen, of the pandemic. 2020. And I, I, I dipped. And then we ran into each other. And then now you're at On It, which is super dope. So you, you worked there, right? Yeah. Yeah, so that was fun little um it's interesting. It's kind of like a it's kind of like a flashback almost. It reminds me of when I was starting to get into tattooing. Yeah. And I got a job at a shop working in reception. I was like, I don't care. I just want my foot in the door and like this is the shop I want to be at. You know? Like I probably could have started tattooing earlier if I wasn't as picky about where I learned and apprenticed, but I had my sight set on that shop. I was like, this is a good shop. This is where I get work done. This is where I want to learn. Um, so is, same thing. Is that around the same time you started lifting? No, this was actually uh, 2000. This was in my early mid-20s. I was like 24 when I was starting to. That was when I first got a job at a tattoo shop. What was the shop that you really wanted to work at? Uh, the name was Twisted Soul and it was in Denver. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I was living in Denver at the time. Fitness was not on my radar at all. Uh, but fitness and tattooing did kind of impact each other because, um, even though, you know, you, you come, I say grow up, like you grow up in tattooing, especially when you're young and you're very impressionable and you're very easy to influence and you just kind of blindly swallow what people tell you because you don't know any better, you know? Um, and then you brush off some of the important shit. Like when people are like, dude, like slow down, make sure you're, integrating self-care like this is hard on your body and you're like yeah 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 i'm fucking 28 i'm partying every weekend whatever yeah. and then you're 10 years into your tattoo career and your body starts really hurting and you're like oh this literally isn't physically sustainable dude I, unless yeah. i spend literally like 500 dollars a month or more on all different types of body work mm -hmm. um and so that that started to be a motivation to getting into fitness i was like i have to take care of my body if i want to be able to continue to do this job like it's i have to there's no question about it you know so there was that motivation too but then tattooing still felt unsustainable because i developed all of these maladapted stress coping mechanisms and was pretty much in like low level hyper vigilance all the time and I totally burnt myself out. Can you talk about the tattoo culture? Because, I mean, we had tons of tattoo artists and uh, it seems like such a intense, brutal world on the mind and body. Like trainers, like any any care, like, you know, service industry, you know, I think when you're in the beginning, you fail to realize you need to take care of yourself. And then we all learn that down the road. But I feel like tattooers more so are in a culture that's like, harder on their bodies or just the culture itself can tend to have not a lot of self-care in it. I yeah. don't know. Maybe you could tell me. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's definitely been my general experience. And I would say I'm relatively disconnected now from the tattoo industry. And I have been for about the past four years or so. Mm -hmm. Really, like since COVID, I started to separate myself from the tattoo industry. I still tattoo um, so I'm not super connected to what's mainstream, but when I was really in it, uh, yeah, it's hard. It's, you can make great money as tattoo, as a tattooer, but there's not passive income unless you're making money off of art and prints. Like you are doing tons of homework drawing shit when you're not at the shop 
and you're putting hard hours in with your body under tension and really fucked up positions for hours and hours on end. It's mentally taxing. Um, you know, I came up in tattooing at a time when things have definitely th- had evolved a lot from like the biker style, but there was still a lot of like that OG mentality, you know, and apprenticeships. And I had a great apprenticeship. I was very fortunate. Um, I actually had a lot of really helpful mentors and I did my best to be on my best behavior. <laughs> so I feel like, you know, I knew better. I saw other people that like they got it because they had attitude and shit, you know, so it's like just, you know, but um, there are definitely apprenticeships where I would say it's crossing the line into abuse is completely unnecessary. I think that there is value to some components of breaking down somebody's ego if it's done right, because there are a lot of big fucking egos in tattooing, like fitness. There's so many parallels yeah. between both of the industries. No, I, 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 I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think there's a lot of value in that. And I had a great apprenticeship. But um, yeah, I mean, it's long hours. Like tattooing is really best suited for somebody who has a Bukowski mentality about life. Like I want to find the thing. I want to be a martyr to like mm-hmm. my purpose. I want to find the thing that I love and let it kill me. Like that is your fucking built for tattooing if that's your shit like an artist yeah and it's just gonna kill me but i won't stop and i'm gonna slave after it i'm gonna stay up all night and i'm gonna sacrifice my health you know um because it's if you really want to be excellent at it that's kind of what it takes you know and so i'm not telling people that they should sacrifice their health to be a tattooer i just want to be realistic about like I have all these people come to me. I've had so many people throughout my tattoo career be like, could you just teach me a few things? I'd love to just kind of like tattoo for fun on the side. And I'm like, fuck no. (laughs) It doesn't work like that. Like you don't just tattoo for fun on the side. It is so hard. Could you just teach me a few things about heart surgery? I'd just like to do some heart surgery on the side. I just want to be able to replace a valve. (laughs) I just want to do a couple aortic replacements for my friends. But that's it. And I get it. It's not quite that, you know, heavy of an implication it's like they'll even say i don't really care if it's good or not and i'm like that's your business but no i'm not gonna do that it's almost a slap in the face to me in terms of like how much i've invested Mm -hmm. you know to get where i am with it and then you just want me to sit down with you and just just show you a few give you a few pointers you know you can take away and go like do scratchy tattoos on yourself and on your friends (laughs) with your body was it starting to break down at any point and how did you man like balance lifting because sometimes lifting can be also hard on the joints like i imagine you can't overdo it like where did did you find a balance with your self-care like what was your self-care routine so yeah i did actually lifting helped me greatly because especially strengthening your back i think is a tattooer or anybody where you're like this, you know, that's what you need. Your back needs strengthening, your friggin' fucking hips and shit, right? Um, so actually when I started deadlifting regularly, my lower back pain from work was gone. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Um, I feel like, you know, some of that forward shoulder roll, you know, that kind of helped m- my posture. Uh, when I started climbing, I feel like that definitely helped my posture and kind of like pull everything back. But I still, d- and I'm not saying I have it figured out now, but I think I have a better understanding of posture now than I did then. I think I was also trying to overcorrect 
in like the wrong ways because we just think like, oh, just like do this and yeah. fucking squeeze like your rhomboids and your shoulder blades together really hard instead. <laughs> and it's like, no, that's not really how you do it either, but whatever. So I think that for the most part, it it helped me. But then I did notice that, okay, now I'm actually spending even more time with my body under tension. So balancing that with more like relaxation and parasympathetic was really important. So at that point, that's when I really started incorporating more body work in and I was seeing um, at least especially the last few years that I was tattooing full time. I would say every month I was regularly seeing a chiropractor, um, an acupuncturist and a masseuse. And that was just keeping me like on par. I wasn't healing. I was just staying level so I could like keep doing what I was doing. That's just keeping you from declining rapidly. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, okay, this is this isn't sustainable, you know? And and I started visibly being very unhappy. It was my ex-partner who actually called me out one morning after we went to the gym and I just been in this crap mood and was complaining about all this shit and he was like, "Look, dude, you're clearly unhappy tattooing have you thought about trying to do something different you know um and it's got to be hard to have that thought because you've dedicated so much of your life and soul to something that i imagine that thought probably never even entered your mind i mean i think part of me knew it you know and i i had taken six months off i took a six-month sabbatical in 2016 um because i knew that like i just needed a break it wasn't like I thought, oh, I'm going to take a break and then decide to do something different. It was like, I'm going to take a break and come back, but like I need a break. And I went and lived on a tropical island in the Caribbean and I went scuba diving every day for like five months and didn't work. It was awesome. <laughs> um, and then I thought I could just like go back to my life, but it doesn't work like that. I was very, very, very happy in that situation. The only problem was that I had saved all this money so that I could fuck off and not have to work. And obviously I spent that because that was the intention. But it was like, this is great, but like I'm not in a position to sustain that. So back to work. Um, but it changes you, you know? And then I, I tried to go back to the same grind and like I, I couldn't. Can't unknow what mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. So I think that part of me knew, but I was kind of in this space of denial because I didn't want to dig into like what it was going to take to shift gears, you know. But that day, like it really shifted everything for me. And I was like, yeah, you're right. You know, he was like, you're super into fitness. Like, have you ever thought about being a trainer or something like that? Um, and that was January of 2019, I think. And that's when I kind of started taking steps. Like I slowly started scaling back how many hours I was tattooing. Um, I started a precision nutrition coaching certification. So that was like the first cert that I took. I hired a life coach because I was like, I don't know how to make a life transition at like almost 40, you know. Um, and then, yeah, 2020 happened. And I had already at that point was like, okay, yeah, I think I'm going to start slowly transitioning from tattooing into coaching. I was thinking personal training at that point. Uh, and then like everything locked down and I couldn't tattoo. So I was like, well, I guess I'm putting all of my energy into building this coaching shit. And so I was spent a lot of time on that during lockdown, that three months that we couldn't really do anything That's and nice. working out You'll, in my were you, were you here in Texas? At the no, time? I was in Seattle. You're in Seattle. Yeah. 
and working out working out in my garage. And luckily, my intuition knew in January to buy a rogue rack. So I did nice. and got that shit set up just in time for everything to shut down. So I was able to like lift in my garage the whole time, which was a godsend. Like if I hadn't had that rack, man, I don't know what I would. We did the same thing. We filled one, filled our garage with a rack. Yeah, they shut everything down, and I was immediately the next day I just started training people outside. And eventually I knew it was going to get cold or I could only do that for so long. I was yeah. driving around carrying dumbbells around in my back of my car. I I'd get to a park, I'd unload them, I'd train people. And like, but I was only working like, I'd only, I I'd basically grouped everybody up. So it's like one or two hours. And then eventually our house, we had this little garage and it was like, maybe I can clear this out. Bought some old power lifters old steel rack that was 10 years old, but still strong. I mean, you could probably drop a bomb on it and it still last. And then there's a guy I found, he had like two uh, lifting platforms, put it together and built like a little gym back there. And it was, it was a godsend because yeah, you couldn't do anything at all. No. And it, it was kind of cool to see how creative some people got. Like I had a friend that made his own kettlebells with cement and, and shit yeah. like that, you know? Um, you got to see if people were resilient or not. Uh, definitely. Yeah. And I feel like I was I was for the most part, but it definitely uh, you know, I suffered a setback. I don't think anybody did it in some regard. I feel like that was just a layer of blanket trauma for like every single person on the planet. <laughs> yeah. Um <clears throat> but you know, I stayed active, but I put on some weight and that was kind of bummed me out even though I stayed active. And uh Yeah, but throughout that um you know, I was just because I couldn't really tattoo me and me and my ex were kind of on the DL, you know, but a lot of a lot of clients weren't even down, even if you were down, you know. Yeah, everybody so, was super freaked out. Everybody was really freaked out and the atmosphere there sucked. It was really hard to be around. I imagine you felt the same way. I mean, I couldn't stand how I would talk to clients and I would ask them, like, you know, why is the pot shop still open? Uh -huh. And yet the nail salon's been shut down and the family's not allowed to work over there. And they just look at you like, why are you asking questions? Why are you questioning? Like, and that's how everybody was. They yeah. just look at you like, why are you asking questions? And I just couldn't, I couldn't deal with it yeah. anymore. I had yeah. to get out of there. When did you finally dip? I finally dipped in, I was there until November, 2021, but I made, I decided I was going to move in like May of 2021. And the only thing that was really keeping me there until then was my relationship. Um, I had already, like, cut ties with the industry, tattooing industry. Like, I wasn't working in a shop anymore. I'd had a private studio for six months. That lease was up. I didn't renew it. You know, I was trying to fully commit to this new path. Uh, and then, yeah, man, it was so hard for me to be in in Seattle. And... I got out, went to Florida for two weeks uh, in the fall of 2020 just to, like, get out, you know. And then in the spring of 2021, I went – I came here. I came to Austin for about two and a half months. And – Just on a whim or – Uh, Well, I came here specifically because I had done a couple trimesters of Fit for Service, Aubrey Marcus's, like, mastermind program. And I'd made some awesome connections and friends through that, and most of them were here. So it was the only other place where I felt like I had some good community support other than Denver, which I love my friends there, but I don't want to live in Denver again. More like geographically related stuff. Um, and I was like, yeah, I'm down to live somewhere hot, 
you know, one of the things that I was getting tired of with Seattle was the, the winters. It's so beautiful there. But For yeah, two months. The, that shit just say, you know, it was it was it's just one of those situations where it was great until it wasn't. And then it just wasn't. Um, and I was staying because my partner was unwilling to consider moving, you know, and we'd been together for 13 years at that point. Um, but I came out here just, I was like, dude, I need a break. We'd spent quite a bit of time apart. Like I would travel without him a lot. So that was something that we were used to. He was like, yeah, cool. Go to Austin for a few months, you know? Um, yeah, I came back and we broke up the next day, like a day or two later. (laughs) You saw the light. I think it, we got into a fight and then I think we just we both knew it was like mutual. We both kind of came to it at the same time. Uh, it wasn't easy, but it was, I'm very proud of us. It was very fucking mature. Mm. And like, you know, I hate using some of these terms because they're just so overused and they're cringe to me kind of, but it was very much like a conscious uncoupling. We decided to continue living together for the six months after we broke up until I moved um, just in a platonic way. But, you know, we had a great life together and we wanted to give ourselves time to slowly kind of separate, but still be in sharing space and like enjoying the things that we enjoyed about sharing space with each other and just like have that time together before I moved. Mm -hmm. And we're still great friends. Like we talk about our dating woes now, you know, so, um, that's awesome. It feels pretty good to be in that space. I feel like, uh, yeah, I'm proud. I look back on it and I'm like, wow, okay. I feel like I have learned some things about how to heal and move on. And I'm really, I'm really like happy about how I responded to all of that and my ability to let myself like go through all of the different phases of that process and really feel everything. And uh, I do feel like I'm on the other side of it in a really healthy way. And that feels awesome. And now being here in Austin for two years now. Yeah, just a little over. How has your life changed? Your own personal growth. That's what I'm really interested in is like after leaving Seattle and you made this big career change, you know, and you've come here, you know, what's been your experience in Austin? Because to me, and I think for you too, Tony, is like, it's a very magical place. Yeah. And I think there's so many incredible just energy from the land, but just people in general. And so love to hear your story. For sure. I think Austin likes to attract people that are in transition. It's like this vortex. It's like, oh, you're changing or you blew up your life and you need support. It's like, cool, here's all these other people that are in the same boat. At least those are the people that either that or it's like a vortex that amplifies like whatever it is you need to attract. Like you're going to attract, you know, an abundance of that here. Uh, because I definitely feel like I have a community of people that are in a very similar space. And a lot of my friends are younger than me because they're in the space of I'm young and trying to figure it out. Not like I had a career and I blew it up and I'm starting over, but whatever. Yeah, whatever. You know, um, and it's kind of fun to A, like have the connection of the younger generation because there's shit they're great at that I suck at. And also to be kind of the older wise person that's to see them spinning their wheels and being like, oh, yeah, I remember when I was, I remember <laughs> when I was doing that. <laughs> or have them like giving me advice on shit that I'm like, no, you're wrong, but it's cool. You'll figure it out. <laughs> you know? um, but no, Austin's been great. It's been a great place for me to just not know what I'm doing. You know, I came out here with some money saved and I just lived off of my savings for like 
for the most part, for the first year and a half that I was here. That's awesome. Doing some coaching and some tattooing, you know, so having a little supplemental income from that stuff. Um, but yeah, then it felt time to like have some level of financial security. And I'd applied it on it a couple times uh, and would like show up there and for the coaches workout sometimes, but was honestly just also super intimidated. So I didn't go as much as I probably could have because I would just get intimidated because sometimes I'd go to those classes and they'd just wreck me and I'd be like, fuck, dude. <laughs> uh, but that's what I wanted, you know, too. So, uh, yeah, I applied three times before I got hired. Um, but I finally got hired in April of last year, I guess, 2023. And that's been so awesome. Like, I seriously have so much gratitude for that place. Um, it helped me get back to the level of just activity that I like to be at. You know, I love being in a gym all the time. And I almost I always felt like I would. And maybe at some point that'll change. But before I worked at a gym, I always felt like I think I would just love to just like hang out at a gym all day. Uh, and now that I work at a gym, even though I'm only work part time, I am I'm there like I'm there a lot. Yeah, you're there every time I go. <laughs> I don't think I've been to on it and not seen you. I just love it there. I love being there. I love the people. I love the energy. Like everything about it's just been super awesome. What do you think is different about on it compared to other gyms? Um, you know, there's I wish I had the list. There's like this list of kind of principles and stuff. Like one of them's like unity through diversity or something along those lines. And I think that's a big one because um there's not a dogmatic approach to fitness at on it. I think that's one of the values that they try to, you know, keep really present in how they do things is like, we're not here to tell you there's one right way to do shit. This is like a big playground where we want you to come and have the opportunity to explore all these different ways to move your body, all these different ways to gain strength or athleticism or power or whatever it is that you're looking for. And just a place where you can experiment be like, you know, like somebody could come in and be like, I don't really know what I like. And it's like, cool. <laughs> well, we've got a little bit of everything here, you know. Um, and then, yeah, just the caliber of people that coach there, that train there. I've never been to a gym where I walk in and I'm just like, damn. <laughs> like you look around and you're like, vast majority of people in here are like in really good shape like these people obviously work hard um and it's cool to see the discipline of the people who work in the fitness industry either as coaches and or influencers and to just see how dedicated they are and how much time they put into their job and how much they care and how much they love being there and helping people and teaching so it's super inspirational and it's just for the since I've worked there, I've just kind of been letting myself like bask in it and marinate in it and be like. <laughs> and now I'm just finally starting to get to the point where I'm like, OK, well, what's your contribution now? So I'm like getting making myself uncomfortable. What do you think that'll be? Um, you know, I'm not really sure. But the things that I feel like I excel at that I really enjoy um, in the fitness space is definitely the technical lifting stuff, especially for women, you know, women having um, insecurities or being in, being like feeling like they're lacking confidence, you know, like I, like I don't it's very intimidating for a lot of women. To yeah. Come in and lift that feeling like they don't know what to do. They don't know how to structure a workout or just feeling insecure that like they're going to look stupid because they don't know what they're doing. Um, so a helping them understand 
Well, guess what? First of all, nobody gives a shit what you're doing because they're all worried about how they look. Uh, two, half of the guys in the gym don't know what the fuck they're doing, but they're just overly confident. So they just think they do or they don't care. Um, and then three, we would love to give you some foundational tools and instructions so that you can feel confident and, you know, you know what you're doing because it didn't feel that hard for me to figure out. And maybe that's just me, you know, but I'm like, oh, okay, like mind muscle connection and like, you know, time under tension. And this is how you build a workout and sets and reps. And I don't know, it just kind of made sense to me. And I started programming my own stuff. And I have pretty much always, except for when I worked with Zach. That's pretty impressive, though, because, you know, I could teach all kinds of different people, the principles and to actually put it together. I mean, even me being a trainer for a long time, it's still like even five years in, it was still challenging to come up with my stuff. So that does sound like a gift that you can give to people because it's the basics that are the most important. It's the fun fundamental stuff that is the most important. Because once you understand the fundamentals of like lifting and progressive overload and understand how to really apply it, then you're in full control of your own program and you can jump in any class and you'll be fine because you can self-monitor yourself. Right. And you know what it's supposed to feel like and you know the cues when it's like, oh, maybe something's a little not, you know, like tweaked my trap a little bit today. You know, I felt it right away. I was like, oh, yep, that's that's a thing that just happened. It's fine. But, you know, um, so just like you said, a lot of the foundational stuff that people like to skip over and they get focused on, like, I just want to go as heavy as I can, as fast as I can, you know, and it's like, okay, but why? You know, like if you're not making that connection, you're not like feeling that engagement, like what what do you want it for? Like, do you want to be able to just push the most weight? Are you trying to get muscle definition, you know, and helping people understand, like, if this is your goal, this is what it's going to require. And being realistic about it, you know, like, am I actually willing, able, et cetera, to like do all the things that it's going to require to get like said result? Helping people get clear on like what's going to get them said result, you know. What do you think women listening now is some of your best advice that are complete beginners? Don't want to be, Don't be scared of weight. But first of all, like get training in the foundational shit. Get your form on point. Like get a good assessment. You know, figure out if you have any. We all have imbalances, but like any serious imbalances that might be an impediment, you know, that you definitely want to kind of address before you're starting to load. But aside from that, you know, how do you lift. do that? How do you go get a imbalance check? Uh, yeah. So find a good personal trainer or a good like physical therapist probably is what I would recommend. That's good at assessing that kind of stuff. I mean, I could shout out a couple people on it, <laughs> contractors and coaches yeah. um, that. So Brian Butts is great for that kind of stuff. He does. He does PRI, postural restoration. Jared Cardona is awesome with all that stuff. Um, and then there is a chiropractor, Lane Palm, that works out of on it. And then we have a PT. What's Jen's last name? Oh, my God. Mm. It's going to kill me. I can't believe I'm blanking it right now. Anyways, she's amazing. I work with <laughs> yeah, her. Cool. I see her every two weeks. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think working with a coach is invaluable. It's like, uh, you know, getting a degree. It's like once you have it, you always have it. A good coach will give you tools that you can take with you forever. Mm -hmm. You know, like a good coach isn't you. You shouldn't need forever. No, 
You know, you it, only, my philosophy was like, if you continue to work with me, it's just because you want to, right? You don't right. need to. Like, you understand how to do all this stuff on your own. It's just you don't, you want me to take care of it. Yeah. Or you're competing. Or something. But, <laughs> yeah. but yeah, exactly. And that's fine if you want to work. I get it. Like, if, if it were in the budget, I would have a coach all the time. I love showing up and having somebody tell me what to do. It's mm -hmm. awesome. Oh, yeah. It's amazing. <laughs> or like write a program for you or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And that way you can surrender to just the work. You don't need to think because even as a trainer, analysis paralysis. Yes. There's a billion ways to make a program, right? It's better to have somebody else just make it and then them learn you over time and then they can tweak it. And you'll learn a ton at the same time as well. Yeah. Yeah. And beyond that, I think too, yeah, like the simplicity, I think is important. Like, you don't, don't overcomplicate it, you know, let it be simple and then learn and understand progressive overload as fast as possible is what I would also recommend. Like the principles and the theory of progressive overload, yeah. um, because it's not only going to benefit you in your fitness journey, whatever your goals are, but it's going to benefit you in your life, I think. You know, if walk, walk, walk us through, you know, the philosophy or the foundations of progressive overload. Cause like, I know what that means, yeah. but I think people listening, like take, for example, someone getting, trying to get stronger hip thrusting, mm -hmm. like walk through how progressive overload works sure. and, and their mindset around like when to add weight, when to back off and all that. Okay. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, like um, I love to do, for example, what I call uh, or what's called a three up, one down. So we'll just kind of break that down. OK. Um, and so principle of this, let's say if you're if you're working on building strength, um, then you're going to have a set of exercises that you're doing and you're going to do these same exercises every single week. So maybe you have three days of lifting and on each one of those three days, you have a different set of exercises. And then the next week, you're going to do the same set of exercises, but you're going to add weight. So you're going to do the same number of sets, same number of reps. You're just going to add weight. And you're going to do that progressively for three weeks straight. And by the third week, if you are doing this right and you're loading it the, sufficiently, your final reps should feel really hard. And also, you know, we, we don't have to get into like, strength and hypertrophy rep set numbers and stuff like that. But um, same thing if you're trying with hypertrophy. If you want to build muscle, then you're you're approaching it in the same way. You can also add strength, but you're focusing more on building volume every week. So you're doing the same weight, the same exercises every week, but you're adding reps. So I might do 10 the first week, 12 the second, 14 the third. And then at some point in there, like in a three up, one down, week four is a deload. And so there are a lot of different ways you can do a deload. I'm not going to tell you the best way, but you're basically, you're still moving your body, but you're dropping your intensity. Or if you're doing like a strength or hypertrophy program, then usually what you're doing is the same exercises that you were doing, the same reps and sets as week three, but you're dropping the weight by like 50, 60 to 50%. So you're still doing everything, but you're just doing it a lighter weight and you'd be surprised how hard week four feels. You go into it thinking like, oh, this will be super easy, 50% of the weight. And you're like, that shit felt way harder than it should. Um, and then you can repeat, you know? And and obviously that's like very cookie cutter. Every week you need to go in and feel it out and be very in tune with your body. And this is why this starts to blow the whole thing up. Because if you want to be able to really get the most out of this kind of approach, your holistic being has to have your shit locked in. 
Yeah, it'll it, the, the barbell or the weights will not lie to you. Yes. They will show you if you're not sleeping, if you're eating like shit, if you're overstressed, you know, it will tell you a lot. If you're on the same weight, same sets, same reps every week, there's something wrong. You need to be progressing. You've got to be pushing yourself and it's it should be hard. <laughs> you know, that's how you grow. And then one of the most important parts of that is knowing when it's time, knowing when to push and knowing when to back off and rest and give yourself time to recuperate. And that means that every once in a while you have a hiccup in your programming and you give yourself that. Now, if you're having hiccups 50 percent of the time, maybe you need to reevaluate the way that, you know, <laughs> you're you're assessing your capability or maybe you need to reevaluate your program, you know, but it, otherwise it's like. 80, 20, 90, 10 rule, I feel like is a very great approach to to anything, especially if you're trying to implement something as like a sustainable lifestyle change. It's like, don't expect to be perfect all the time. That's fine. You have to give yourself some room to trip up, you know? Um, but yeah, it's kind of like, okay, so you fucked up, but don't do it twice. You know, don't do it two days in a row. Um, or don't let that get down to like, okay, I'm showing up for myself like 60% of the time. Yeah. You know, so you've got to listen to your body. You've got to understand the mental components that impact your physical performance. Um, and then just also seeing how other factors in our life impact the way that we show up in the gym, like your emotional state and stress and all these kinds of things, you know, and that just then you're just down all these rabbit holes like um, emotional maturity and nervous system regulation and blah, 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 <laughs> you know? <laughs> and that's what happened to me. And then I was like, ah, I can't just be a fitness coach because I actually really love the juicy shit. I'm like, oh, yeah, let's talk about the insecure attachment and the trauma bonds and like nervous system regulation, like that shit. So the weight training opened up all these other doors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What what was one of the like most impactful doors you opened up in that realm of the non-physical, I guess you could say? So actually, I'll say weightlifting, it kind of helped to expand the opening. It was like, it, let's see. So 2012 um, was when I really started to commit to my healing journey. Uh, I'd lost my second parent and I had dabbled in psychedelics and as like a more profound kind of like consciousness opening experience. But it was at that point that I really kind of started to commit to that. And then I found fitness like the year, the next year. So I think they were definitely um, co-supporters in this journey because the healing stuff was also was contributing to that. It's like I'm doing this fitness stuff. This feels great for me. The healing thing got me on the fitness thing because I was like, I need to be taking better care of my body. It was one of the things I wasn't doing. I was starting to get better with like nutrition and all these other lifestyle habits. So I was like, I need to get on that. So I like got that going. Um, and then it just really got me into just healing myself and starting to really understand more about the concepts of developmental or complex trauma versus acute trauma. Well, tell me. So developmental trauma is basically most of us sustain it because it's accumulation of subtle trauma. I mean, there's a spectrum, obviously, um, but it's not like acute trauma, which is what we usually think of where it's like, oh, I got in a bad car accident or I had the loss of a loved one or I sustained some kind of like really traumatic abuse or something. Developmental trauma is trauma that accumulates over time 
with subtle interactions with our caretakers and our uh, our parents, like the, the close relationships that we have during our developmental phases. And it's impacted by things like um, having parents who are emotionally unavailable or having our reality denied in some way, shape or form, which can happen in really small ways, like just being told not to cry when you're really upset about something. And like these kinds of responses become habituated and they essentially teach us that like what our nervous system's telling us isn't right. And we start to betray ourselves. We we create these subtle coping mechanisms so that we don't have to be present with the pain of not having the support that we need. Um, and then those play out in our relationships as we get older. But it's very it's not obvious to most people. A lot of people that suffer from developmental trauma, if you ask them, they'd say like, oh, I had a happy childhood. Like it was great. I had loving parents. You know, I I didn't have trauma growing up. Bullshit. Everybody's fucked up. <laughs> yeah, last... It's so subtle that it flies under the radar. You're not tracking that you're picking it up. Right. Is this does this tie into your core wounding? Fuck. Yeah. It's like the same in the same Venn diagram. Absolutely. A hundred percent. So like core wounds, insecure attachment styles, you know, this all that stuff is like relational developmental trauma. Um, and the reason I love it so much and the reason it's like so juicy is that like I firmly believe that because these coping mechanisms are developed within the context of relationship, they can only be healed within the context of relationship. Mm. And I love that. Which sucks. I mean, Brent's <laughs> mad about it. I mean, I feel you. It, it kind of does because no, you have it. to amazing, be willing but... to be like, yes, I want to find somebody that triggers all of my shit and pushes mm -hmm. all my fucking yeah. buttons. That's why it was my, <laughs> my my goal this year was that's why I've always been in search for a good one. But I finally found like a good therapist because if you do get in a relationship, that is part of the relationship is you get your shit reflected to you. But if you don't have a good coach or someone on the sideline to help you process it it's gonna be madness yeah i mean you could you could fig try and figure it out yourself um do not recommend yeah i mean i kind of did that but but i was also i was like accessing my own resources like i was doing online courses and like doing plant medicine and yeah. watching like repeatedly watching pematodrin YouTube videos and you know what I mean? Like diving into polyvagal theory and f internal family systems and inner child work and all that kind of stuff. Like, um, and it's been really cool because one thing I would also say though, is like, yes, get support. I do recommend that. Um, and trust yourself more though. Also, we suck at trusting ourselves, you know? Um, your body is really, really fucking smart. And one of the other things that I think we need more of is somatic experiencing. Like, that needs to become more mainstream. And just understanding that these things ought not be separate. We love to compartmentalize stuff, but we don't operate that way. Every part of us informs the other part. There are always, there's always feedback, you know? So we're like, let's just do a lot of talk therapy mm -hmm. and then let's do somatic experiencing. It's like, how about like where we need to talk, we talk and where we need to feel, we feel. And we start to practice how to do all those things and know which is appropriate in which situation because we suck at just being present and feeling shit that we don't want to feel. We really suck at being uncomfortable. But like that's the key. And that's another reason why fitness is so great because anybody that's into fitness knows that you sub you intentionally subject yourself to discomfort and then you feel fucking awesome later. You know? Um so there's something to that. And it builds resilience. And this is how we heal our nervous systems. 
You know, you don't heal your nervous system by telling it that shit's okay. Your nervous system doesn't give a fuck because it's disconnected from your prefrontal cortex when you're activated in a survival state. Hmm. So this is why you can't reason your nervous system into safety. The only way you can do that is by being present with what you're feeling on an experiential level because that's demonstrating to your nervous system that it's safe because you can stay with it. When we exit with our coping mechanisms, then you're telling your nervous system that it's not safe to feel this. So like learning how to come back and just be with what's going on. You don't have to like it. That's the thing. Like that's my favorite thing. It's like you don't have to like it. You can even acknowledge that it sucks. This is fucking uncomfortable. I don't like this. Cool. Sit in it. That's fine, but sit in it and breathe because guess what? Everything's impermanent, you know, and the more that you can build resilience for things that you find uncomfortable, the more resilient that, yeah, you're just going to build nervous system resilience. You're going to be much better at processing experiences that otherwise would be traumatic because the experience itself isn't traumatic unless it leaves an unprocessed energetic like imprint on the person, right? That's why like multiple people can be part of one experience and you might have two people that are seriously traumatized and three people that are totally fucking fine. So anyways, yeah, I went on a total tangent with that, but this is the kind of stuff that I get like really fired up about. Um, and, you know, movement is also a really important component. So yeah, I'm just in the space of trying to figure out how to connect all these dots and like offer something to the world. <laughs> Well, I think that's why this conversation is cool because it's kind of like a, a workshop. We're just, you know, having a conversation and maybe some dots will connect even just like uh, after you leave here and some aha moments will come. Yeah. Um, are there any somatic experiences that you've had in Austin that you could speak about that were profound to you? Yeah, sure. Well, I'll just kind of speak about like – uh a more recent kind of, it's like a phase or whatever. Um, <clears throat> I have been, my my healing space has definitely shrunk in terms of like the community and the circles that I interact with uh, more so than it was. It was like wider and I was more like kind of out in the community and I've kind of gone back into this hermit mode. So I do a lot of my healing with myself or with like some very close friends and it just feels right right now. Uh, but for me, one of the biggest things that I've been challenged with lately is having, so I already told you guys I was in a really long-term relationship, ended that, um, just spent the last two years just really like getting to love being with me again. Like I haven't even been thinking about dating or anything really, you know? Uh, and then within the last few months, had some interactions that triggered like every motherfucking relationship wound that had been unhealed prior to my relationship that I like I say they went into cryo sleep and then they're like hi we're awake except that now I'm 44 and these are wounds that went to bed when I was 28 and I'm just it was like this whole process of feeling so disconnected and not recognizing that part of myself and having a lot of judgment and not only sitting with the pain that I hadn't processed, but also sitting with all of there were all these feelings of embarrassment. Like I saw that part of myself as pathetic. I had all these stories about how like I'm too old to be like feeling these things and having these stories about myself and other people like I'm too old to like have these insecurities circulating or these, uh, you know, the, 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 the shit just challenging my sense of self-worth, like all of that, you know? And, uh, 
one of the things I think I've gleaned from this space of just being in the soup for the last couple of years in Austin, basically giving myself space to not know what I'm doing and let myself experiment and figure it out. Like, what do I want to do? You know, um, I've gotten really good at like witnessing myself. I can just keep stepping back and stepping back and stepping back and just like seeing it and seeing what's happening. And, uh, in, in that scene, then just like making space to feel it. And it sucked. I didn't want to. I felt like shit. I was crying every fucking day for like weeks. I was like, what the fuck? Like, this sucks, dude. <laughs> um, and having a hard time trusting, you know, like I'm like, I know I have shit that I haven't felt that I need to feel. But like, this feels like a lot. Like, is there really more, you know? Um, <clears throat> but I've had a lot of painful. I've experienced a lot of painful shit in my life, you know? Uh and it's funny because when I first heard somebody read off like the five core wounds, I was like, oh, yeah, all of those, <laughs> all of them, <laughs> you know, um, and it's not like a woe is me. It's not at all um, because I have always been a rebel in the sense that whatever everybody else is doing, I'm like, OK, I got to do the opposite thing. And so what do people not want? They don't want pain. They don't want you to tell them that they need to sit with the painful shit so of course i want to be the person that's going to be like you have to learn to sit with the painful shit and i also have the worst imposter syndrome ever um so i can't go out and tell people to do that if i haven't done it so like it took me some time to connect with gratitude for it but i was able to eventually because i was like if i can fucking sit with this shit as awful as this feels then how much of value am I going to be able to bring to other people if I'm encouraging them to like sit with their shit, you know, like that's one thing that most of my close friends and people that I've mentored reflect back to me is that they're like, when I talk to you, I feel like I know that you know what I mean and that you've been where I've been. Um, it's really important for me to not like speak on something that I don't have any experience with. So that's been really fucking hard but it's been a blessing because it's given me an opportunity to sit with and experience on a somatic level all this shit that like i didn't want to feel but the thing that's really awesome about it is the more that we practice this the more that we start to see that like the experience like isn't actually physically painful like if you let yourself start to kind of this is a great task to give the mind when you're working with somatic experiencing because we can get into this contentious relationship with the mind because we're like, oh, you're distracting me. But the mind's supposed to think, man, you can't get mad at it for doing mm. that. It's its job. So give it a job. Be like, describe my somatic experience. Put adjectives to it, right? So now your mind's like, how do, what is it? Where is it? How do I describe it? It's kind of pulsing and moving. It's kind of tight and, and hot. It's all these things, but it doesn't actually really hurt. And what hurts is that we attached a story and an emotion to the sensation, right? So, like, the the feeling comes up first. It's just a feeling. It's like, I don't know, what maybe it's here and it's tight and it's hot and it's like, or it's like butterflies, right? But it's just that. That's all it is. But then we assign a label to it, right? We decide if we like it or not, and then we give it a name. And now it's an emotion. And now there's a scenario that's occurring in conjunction with the somatic experience and the labeled emotion. And now there's a story. And that story gets attached to the emotion. And then the emotion reinforces the story. And then we're in this vicious, self-perpetuating cycle 
And so if we can start to see the transparency of the thoughts and emotions and just come back to the somatic experience, we can see how powerless all that shit is. But we've been getting at all this power, but we get to choose. I get to choose if I give that power. Just because I have a thought doesn't mean I have to fucking believe it, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so this has been a super powerful practice for me because I'm not going to die <laughs> sitting with this, you know? It, I don't have to like it. It's not fun. It brings up all the shit that I don't want to deal with. But it also gives me a chance to look at it and be like, whoa, dude. Like, do I actually think that's true? And if I don't, then maybe I need to take some steps to work on, like, the way in which, you know, this story or this cycle is impacting my life and my relationships and the way that I'm showing up, you know? Um, so did, did that help <laughs> answer your question? It's so funny. You, you make me realize that your brain is is just like ChatGPT. Well, I guess ChatGPT is like our brain because that was there first. But you said you have to give your brain a job. Same with ChatGPT. You're only going to get the answer based on the prompt that you give it. So when you give your brain the right prompt, you're going to get the right response. And then you can go down this rabbit hole. And depending on the prompts that you give it, you're going to either have some wacky like image or story created or you can work down your healing path. But you have to have really proper prompts to give it in order to get to the outcome you want. Totally. Yeah. It's it, we we don't need to go to war with ourselves like everything that is in your experience is there for you. And I like to look at it. It's I like to play this game called what's on your plate. Steak so, usually <laughs> what's on your metaphorical life plate, but also that and eat that because that sounds delicious. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> like what is going on in your life? What are your current circumstances? Not what you would like them to be, not what you think they should be. What is real right now? Radical honesty. That is your plate or toolbox. And there is plenty there. Trust me. There's plenty there. You don't need to be looking at anybody else's plate. You don't need to be wishing you had what they had on their plate or wishing you had less on your plate. You have exactly just get real about what your life circumstances are and do whatever you need to do to meet yourself where you're at. Because as long as we're lying to ourselves on any kind of on any level, then we're going to get distortion in the feedback that we get back based on what we put out because we're putting out deceit on some level. You know, so like, <clears throat> yeah, that's another one of my big things is like get real, get real with yourself, you know, and you have to learn to observe yourself. That's how we start to get real and, and figure out what it means to be objective about your your own behavior and the ways that you show up as best as you can um because obviously we're biased like we want to be right of course we do i want to be right i like being right it feels good (laughs) you know so it's like that it's like just admit it to yourself it's fine you want to be right cool no big deal i feel a certain way when i'm not right and then i respond in this way because i feel inadequate you know it's like that kind of shit it's cool but like Let's work let's more. Let's get real. Let's fucking. We'll make that the name of the episode. Get real with Heidi. That's perfect because that's actually uh, the first module of my online course, which I have three quarters of the way wrote like two years ago and haven't finished. Um, but I made it the first module because it, to me, it feels like the most important thing to nail down on this process of self-discovery or growth or whatever. I don't like to say improvement because that's like implying that some stages of your growth are like more valuable or 
better than others or something. And uh, as like a recovering perfectionist, I'm like, fuck that. That's crap, you know. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, get real. It's it's very important. And I like that you're going to name it that because it feels good. <laughs> <laughs> well, Heidi, I want to say thank you so much for spending the day with us and sharing your wisdom. Yeah, we spent all day together. We two did. two workshops in the morning at On It now podcast yeah. yeah yeah tripling down I like yeah. it thanks for hanging out for so yeah. long and then throw some words to the On It crew that's listening and people of Austin just uh, you know you have the platform to you know share your heart oh wow okay well yeah I mean Austin in general has been just a very welcoming city and I'm very it's very refreshing the people here in contrast to what I'm used to in the Northwest, which I don't want to, it, it is for those people and that's fine. No, go ahead. You can talk shit about the Northwest. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm just, I, I appreciate people being authentic and uncensored. And so it's difficult to me and for me to be in environments where people are easily offended and they expect everybody else to cater to that. I just don't really have stomach for that. And I, Austin's been great because people are really friendly here, um, but it still has that kind of Southern feel and just like kind of raw Americanness in a way, <laughs> which I never thought I wanted, which is funny until I like moved here. And I'm like, yeah, I, I dig like the Texas component of Austin. I know Austin is this like anomaly in Texas, you know? Yeah, but people who but, say <laughs> that Texas, like they're like, oh, well, you live in a you live in a liberal place. You're like, you have no idea what liberal is. You've never been to Seattle. If you think you have, Austin is liberal, you're yes. in for a rude awakening going you anywhere else, buddy. no idea what the fuck you're talking That's about. That's what I've It's got a cowboy va- vibe. Yeah. It's got a, to me, it's got like a, it's kind of like do your own thing and be respectful and, and mixed with a little bit of hippie. It's Dude, liberal, yes, hippie, but gritty. Very concise way of putting it. Yeah. Thank you. I would agree with that. And I like it a lot. I, my only gripe, which isn't anybody's fault, is just the geography, you know? I would love to either have some more mountains or, like, an ocean right here on the on the. And it would city, be too perfect. But, yeah, it might be. You're right. It, I think the heat and the lack of water, though we do have some water, it, it gets rid of the riffraff. There's L.A. people I've trained mm. or whatnot. If, if they can't handle it, the heat kicks them out. Imagine this would. And just, I think this that's a protect. It's a. It's it's important it's to have mechanism. that intensity yeah. because it kicks people out who do not belong here. That's cool. This I place like would that. just be South Beach. Yeah. If if it would, there was an ocean, Good it'd be chaos. And I do kind of in this in this weird kind of masochistic way love the summers when it's like 105 every day. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> My friends <laughs> yeah. call me and they're like, God, how do you do it? And I'm like. I fucking love it. It's so hot. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a fever. It keeps all the bacteria out. Exactly. Yeah, it keeps yeah, all the shit yeah, out right. that we don't it want. It burns it all off. Yeah, once a year, we burn out all the people that don't need to stay in Austin. Yeah. 100%. Um, well, yeah, I mean, then the last thing I'll just, I guess I would just extend tons of gratitude to, to on it just as an entity of a gym and all the people that work there. It's hard for me to find words. It's been really, really huge for me. And I'm just super happy to be there and want to continue to work there and work with on it for the foreseeable future. So, um, yeah, I guess that's about that. And thanks so much, you guys, yeah. Thank for you. having me yeah. on. Thanks for coming. And then look forward to hopefully you have that course and we can go through that. 
I know. It's good motivation because I feel like I do shit when I say things publicly. Mm-hmm. So weird how that holds you accountable. So, yeah. <laughs> it's on your plate now. All right. Everybody's expecting it, so Fuck. it's got to yeah. be done. Okay. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Later, y'all. That's a wrap. 